1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I am your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater expert here. So the Tonys are coming up in just under two weeks. Very exciting. And when this year's nominations were announced, there were two shows that tied for the most nominations, a staggering 12, including Best Musical. One of them was SpongeBob SquarePants, a recent podcast guest who I hope you've listened to. Um, and maybe the most talked about new musical of the season was the other, Mean Girls. The show is, of course, based on Tina Fey's once cult hit, now modern classic movie about uh, a girl who moves back to the US from living with her family in Africa and navigates the fierce social hierarchies of high school and what happens when a clique of charismatic popular girls adopts her as a kind of guinea pig. In its musical incarnation, the show definitely maintains the movie's acid sense of humor, thanks to the fact that Tina Fey wrote the book, uh, for which she has a Tony nomination. And it has an also Tony-nominated, very zippy score that definitely touches on various pop sounds composed by uh, Tina Fey's husband, Jeff Richmond, who is a pretty prolific composer, especially on TV. You have heard his music before on Saturday Night Live, 30 Rock, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And the lyricist Nell Benjamin, whose very witty words are best known on Broadway from Legally Blonde, the musical. As a musical, Mean Girls is definitely a lot of fun. The story actually transfers very smoothly into the age of social media, so it feels like it's been updated in a way that's not forced. Um... And uh, the show is so well cast that you pretty much won't really miss the actors from the film who made roles like Regina George and Gretchen Wieners iconic. Two of those actors stopped by the podcast this week, Erica Henningsen, who plays the protagonist, Katie, and Kate Rockwell, who is hilarious as the delightfully dumb Karen. And we had a super fun talk about what it's like to work with Tina Fey and the uh, ironically very happy sisterhood that they have found in this refreshingly female forward show. Lovely to see both of you ladies here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, nice thanks for having us. <laughs> who are who are who are you people?
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Erica Henningsen. I play Katie Heron in uh, Mean Girls on Broadway.
1: I'm
0: Kate Rockwell and I play Karen Smith in Mean Girls on Broadway. <laughs> and I am Tina Fey. Just
1: kidding. <laughs> Tina's in the house. If only I were. We are both Short brunettes <laughs> who take the bus. I recently saw Tina on mm-hmm. an Upper West Side bus mm-hmm. with she me, loves the which, bus. which made me feel much better about taking the bus. She's like
0: a real world like <laughs> celebrities are just like us, as mm-hmm. opposed to like
1: the fake ones where they like
0: have to come up with Coaster something shopping. so they say Starbucks. <laughs> yes. But like she's actually like yes. on public transportation, like walking down the street like a normal person, taking your kids rescuing from people school. from walking around in front of cars because they were looking at their phones and not paying attention. Is that <laughs> me? <had> two people separately of each other that Tina Fey is the person who was like what. Watch out! Was they were like wandering around looking at their phone and
1: walked into traffic. She's looking
0: out for you. It's like she's saving lives on the Upper West Side. We
1: we really have a lot in common, mostly acting like other people's mothers. (laughs) 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 Um, Well, as I said just now, I saw the show about a month ago. It's super fun. And you guys have like the most Tony nominations. So Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. It's exciting. What was Tony nomination day like for you guys? Was it like crazy pink party extraordinaire?
2: Well, it's really fun because our creative team was back in town for
0: rehearsal for the Today
2: Show. Today
1: Show.
0: So the day that the nominations came out, we had a rehearsal to stage the number that we performed on the Today Show a couple Mm -hmm. days later. And so we all were, almost all of us, were together. uh, Not long, like maybe an hour after all the nominations came out, including the creative team. So that was really fun. We got to celebrate together. Which I think most of the time you don't. You, don't. Really get you to hear the news and
2: then you see them at the show, but then yeah. you have to do the show, so it's kind of put on the back burner. So it was cool that we had like this cohesive cast creative team yeah. moment of yeah. me a little we got toast 12. after the show. Yeah, got to drink mm-hmm. as, you,
1: as you should drink definitely. <laughs> as um, you should. Well, it's going to be so much fun to have like so many of you there. I would think on the night of, and are, do you know if you're performing at the show yet? Or we do know we are
2: performing, mm-hmm. and there are going to be a lot of us involved. Can I
0: say that? I can say that. That's that's probably all we can say. Yeah, yeah, that's all we can say.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess to start out, I I love hearing audition stories in general, and I feel like for this show in particular, since it's sort of almost all female leads, which Mm. is such a nice, refreshing thing on Broadway in general. um, I was curious what your experiences were. Are these the roles that you tried out for Mm. in the first place, or have you been shifted among the plastics in your experience? Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: Uh, my, my audition story uh, was sort of long because I went through phases where I was sort of out of the running and then came back in. So I was always going in for Katie um, but there were moments in the process where I kind of put it to bed of like, okay it's it's not going to happen for me this round. Um, and then it would come come back. So I, I mean I have learned from it that it's not over till, <laughs> till they say it's over um, until it opens on Broadway because I had really sort of released Katie, in terms of getting to do it, and then when it came back for the TC production, I went back in to audition for them and had, like, my final callback at, I think, 9.30 a.m. on a Monday morning, which is just (laughs) cruel, just cruel, Um, but they were all about to leave for, I think, summer trips, and so that was kind of the last time, and so I went in that morning, Tina Fey got on a plane, or I think maybe Lorne Michaels did, and so they couldn't tell me until the next Day, So I waited all day just oh. like, oh no, I don't think it happened again. And then I got a call from my agent the next morning and it was like such a rush of relief and gratitude that I had um, sort of stayed in the sphere of this show for so long during the auditions and that it was going to come to fruition.
1: And it was always Katie that you were going in for. It was
2: always Katie, yeah. I mean, I we talk about this all the time. Like We would love to do a, a crazy night where we just pull names out of the hat and all the girls... Trade off, but it was always Katie that I was going in for. <laughs>
1: yeah. And did, and sorry, singing in front of Lauren Michaels, that's the thing you had to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they sent a tape. Yeah. Okay. They sent a tape for Lauren Michaels. <laughs> here's the thing though Lauren Michaels is so unassuming. He is so, yeah. As is Tina. Like, I was more nervous singing in front of, I think, Jeff and Nell because it was their music. Mm-hmm. I just thought, like, the way a composer and a lyricist hear the music in their heads, all I want to do is, is
0: pay homage to that and luckily <laughs> they thought I I did. Also, like singing in front of Lauren I think is easier than making jokes in front of Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah so, like, I was making making doing comedy in front of Tina Fey and Lauren Michaels Terrifying. is absolutely one of the scariest things <laughs> yes. that I've ever done.
1: And you're sure. and you're very funny. So <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, right I <laughs> um yeah, it was that was that Cause I I always feel sometimes with certain sing- like composers or something in a room, you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna sing in front of right. like when I sang Andrew Lloyd Weber for Andrew Lloyd Weber, I was like, this is a very intimidating experience. <laughs> yes, yeah. But Dropped. I've known Mel no for a long time. And so like, and I there's something about Jeff who's just so open and so welcoming that I never felt intimidated doing their music for them, but I definitely was Panicked about trying to make Tina Fey laugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was incredibly intimidating.
2: When she would give us a new punchline or a new line, and you put it up in front of the rehearsal room, that was so scary because oh you God. just thought like, she has no ego, and if it didn't work, she would just write something new. But mm-hmm. I always felt responsible if it didn't work. So you're like, it's me. It's I let her down. Me. Like,
0: there's nothing that she does that's not funny. Right. So if it's not working, it's me. Tina it's <laughs> May <me. laughs> can do no wrong. So yeah. I'm doing the wrong. Everything she writes is funny, whether she intends for it to be funny or not.
1: Yeah. I'm the problem. If this exactly. isn't working. <laughs> well, I I spoke to Nell and Jeff actually a couple weeks oh, ago, yeah. and I feel like they're what came out of talking to them about you know being comedians who mm-hmm. write is that it sounds like there's this total lack of preciousness and that if something yes. doesn't work. Generally, mm-hmm. they were just like, okay, let's move yeah, on to the yeah. next thing, and there it's, it sounds like it was a very judgment-free zone.
0: Taylor Louderman really says it really well. She always says like, the best joke wins, like the best, whatever the funniest wins, and nobody's concerned about who created it, where it came from, yeah. how it came about. Um, it's all just about like making sure that whatever the best material is, is the material that we have that we're working with, and mm-hmm. it, there isn't. Yeah, there's no qualms. The expression in theater is "kill your babies." Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a it's very dark. dramatic expression, <laughs> but truly, like that's what sometimes you have to do. Things you, even if you personally fell in love with it, if it's not working, it's got to go. go. And we had no nobody here who had any hard time with that. That was from yes. day one. We we did we did dead
2: babies everywhere dead Dead babies littering the August Wilson during previews. Don't isolate
1: that line. (laughs) 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 Don't take that line out of context. Don't make that the tag. Maybe that should be on the marquee. Me and girls, dead Dead babies all all over the the August Wilson
0: theater. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) much (laughs) going Oh, Michelle is dying behind us in theater right now.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, since so much of theater is always about like wanting it to be different every night and Mm -hmm. wanting to be flexible. Is that just on a total different level being in a show that's so much about comedy, or is this sort of different from even what you're used to in musical theater?
0: Um, no, I would say that the thing about doing musical theater, at least at least on the Broadway stage, um, is that you do create a final product in a way. So mm-hmm. the story, the show, the jokes that there's not really a lot of like changing it up per night because a that's not fair to the audience. They deserve the the. <laughs> kind of show that we created together with the creative team, but it's also not fair to your fellow actors. They, right. They're they not there. <laughs> so this is like, not an improv <laughs> sure class. It it's is. not yes and. <laughs> this is a job. And so your you're job like as an actor is to tonight. make it fresh <laughs> without changing it every mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. It's to make sure that the jokes don't get stale, but they do stay the same. Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately the story that Casey and Tina and Jeff and Nell wanted to write, and they wanted uh, that story to be the story we deliver every night. And so it's my job as the person delivering those jokes to make sure that they stay fresh and they stay honest and they stay like it's the first time that we've told them um, without surprising everyone around me by changing. There's like teeny tiny moments, especially like I have a moment in the show where I'm by myself um on stage and I direct address the audience. And so there is a little bit of flexibility in there sometimes because mm-hmm. it is open it, it is a little more open mm-hmm. structurally, but that's that's few and far between in this kind of. And mm-hmm. I've I've done now a fair amount of of this style of musical comedy and and I would say that's consistent across the board.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I going off of what you just said. This was the first massive commercial musical comedy that I had ever done. And I have learned so much from tina and from watching people like kate and taylor and ashley and everybody i'm on stage with because they're during previews there's that moment of like there's a little bit of play happening of we're still not quite sure what we're settling on so you have to have the freedom of well let me try this and then when it works you stick with it and that's sort of this final product that the audience sees eight times a week but there is a bit of fearlessness that you have to have to go in and have a new line and just be like i have to i don't know how this is going to land i don't know how this is going to read but it's my job to commit to it 100% because that's the only way we're going to know mm-hmm. um and then not anticipating it to work the next night sometimes the that's thing that's the hardest part that's the hardest part is Our audiences love the show every night. That is consistent. But their response to certain jokes Mm. are different every evening. And to not get in your head of, well, this didn't work. Are they not on board with the character? Do I need to change something? Do I need to change it? Yeah. Mm. And that's something that I have definitely learned a lot from watching how consistent, um, for example, Kate is. Every night there's little things that change, but she knows exactly what path her character is carving through the two and a half hour story, um, and they're with you by the very end when we have
0: that one little scene together. It's also important to remember that, especially with comedy, we we as actors tend to to add. We develop, you know, we develop something <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then, like, because we're creative people and we're, we're always trying we to look bored, for more. We don't same. get bored. Yeah, we don't want to just do the same thing yeah. every day. So we tend to build and layer on top of things, even if we don't think we are, we do. <laughs> um, and with comedy, that, when you weigh down a joke like that, then it, it obliterates the joke. It makes mm-hmm. nothing is funny if it's that right. heavy. So mm-hmm. most of the time, your job is to make sure that you're actually stripping away all the stuff that you might be unconsciously adding on top mm-hmm. of it to let the joke be the joke, let the scene be the scene. Yeah. You know, the musical comedy needs to be light and bright and fast and sharp and, and clear. clear, clear. And mm-hmm. is the yeah, it's exactly right. So if you add and you muddle and you you get too complicated, you're that's not the, That's not what we're trying to create here. Right. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that the story doesn't have important things in it, but the style of of storytelling does have rules. It, it, it really does. needs to be a certain way or else the audience is like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what did I just watch? Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, totally. That's not what I want. I don't want anyone walking away from this Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, you two came to the show from somewhat different paths as far as Broadway is concerned Absolutely. and I'm curious to hear, Kate, for you, I mean, you did... Legally Blonde, Rock mm-hmm. of Ages, mm-hmm. Bring It On the Musical—one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. undersung shows ever. <gasps> it's um, <so> good. <laughs> which we, I should give Taylor props to for, for also. Um, so I'm curious to hear, like, from those shows, do you feel like you learned things that were applicable here? And uh, about to call you, Katie, Erica. <laughs> yeah, I, <know laughs> I think you your last big role on Broadway was playing Fontaine, which is like, like the exact opposite. It's yes. truly opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> like how much? And for you, like how much of a like shift was this?
2: Oh my goodness. It was a huge it was a huge shift. They're not I don't the thing that's comparable in them is that I think at the end of the day the characters that Tina created and Jeff and Nell and Casey, yeah, go for it. They're <laughs> all based on um humans who are just trying to do their best. <laughs> and that's sort of what I find in Katie, she makes mistakes but she was really just trying to do what she thinks is right and that in a very different way is sort of what happens with fontaine's story of she is trying to do something for the sake of her child for what she thinks is best and it really um those choices are ill-fated and that is what happens to katie in totally different spheres and spectrums um but that's <laughs> slightly less tragic exactly that's kind of the only kernel that i could find that related the two so i really did this process for me, I learned so much from watching. I learned so much from watching my fellow actors. I learned so much from watching Tina because this was a new language that I was adapting to. And I have the privilege of being sort of like the core part of the story. I get to work with everybody. Um, Fontaine's really isolated. She's on stage yeah. for 20 minutes with maybe three of other actors and then she's done. This is one of the few things where I get to interact with our entire principal cast and our entire
0: ensemble cast every night. <clears throat> yeah, but I think for me, I. I don't know if you if you had told me when I was like younger in school that like musical comedy was seems to be the language I speak, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do feel like this is a vi- like I there's something about this medium that I understand, and I, we did do a lot of comedy. We did do comedy in college. I shouldn't say we did a lot of comedy, but I I remember you know being yelled like louder, faster, funnier, louder, faster, funnier, <laughs> which is like the old school way of doing yeah. comedy. Um, but it's really true, true. <laughs> they have to hear you you cannot let them get ahead of you and like just don't be not funny was, i guess it's <laughs> like the joke of the third one <laughs> but i there's something about it that inherently i get and i maybe it comes from like watching like sitcoms in the sure. 90s like those sick. if you go back and you watch full house full house is a musical it's just yeah, a it musical. Really Go on with it really their is. like emotional like 10, 30 hour moment where like that's Danny would, Uncle Danny would like put his hand on somebody's shoulder and like have a big <laughs> breakdown about family and then yes. they hug and then they end with a joke like it's a musical, so maybe that's where I learned it. Maybe that's why it makes sense to me. Yeah. But this style, I love. I mean, I I have a real addiction to laughter. And getting people to laugh and the science of comedy, and it's all different. You know, you can do a straight play. That's an old coward thing is very different structure than doing a musical comedy. Totally. Mm-hmm. But there, the the science of comedy is always the same, and it is literally louder, faster, funnier. <laughs> um, and that, to me, is like my. If I get, like, if I get a laugh on one bit, like, okay, tomorrow I gotta get two, and then the next day I gotta get three, and it, like... It's addicting. It is so, it's that immediate response, you know, it's like that that instant gratification yeah. of of having an Pure audience dopamine. tell you right away if <laughs> mm. what you did is good. Yeah. I mean, if the goal is to make them laugh, if the goal is to make them cry and they laugh, you know you what you did is bad, so... Right. But that's, it's so addicting, and I, I just love it. I, I have the best time, and Legally Blonde being my first Broadway musical comedy. I watched I mean, Laura Bell Bundy is a is a queen mm-hmm. of that. And I watched her do it. And I studied her because I thought everything she did was a miracle. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> and she was an incredible improv comedian too. And by the time I was working with her, she was she had a little more carte blanche to to maneuver in and out than perhaps oh, right. we will have in this show um because of the type of show that it was and because of the type of actor she was. And watching her manipulate an audience every night was, ASTONISHING! And I was, huh, that was, I mean, I was done for then. Yeah. That was the end for me. I don't know that I'll ever do a Les Mis. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I just don't see that maybe, maybe someday. No, it's true.
1: Maybe you'll be like a Tenardia. Yeah, yeah, I'll just gain a bunch of weight and, <laughs> when I'm 70 and then I can
0: be Madame Tenardia be and I'll be, be very comedy happy. Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very so happy doing that.
1: communal
2: about comedy. And I think that's why mm-hmm. Tina, grew, you know, did improv growing up mm-hmm. and that's why people who are on SNL, you know, crave that because it's so, it's such a relationship that you form between the audience and the performer. Yeah, you work together. That's not always, you know, in a a drama, you don't get that. You don't really know until the end, maybe, if you impacted them. You can maybe tell by the silence in the audience, Mm -hmm. but laughter is so much more fun than silence, (laughs) I think.
0: (laughs) Well, and at the end of a three-hour drama, you come out of it as the actor who just had to tell that story. You come out of it bearing the weight of the story you just had to tell. Mm -hmm. My two-and-a-half-hour story... I come out of it skipping and, yeah. and full of joy. Yes. And so you're like, yeah. as a human, even it's just more that, <laughs> it's way, it's better for my long-term emotional health. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. It is. totally.
2: Yeah. We're across the street from Angels in America and I do not know how I, I handled it. Yeah, no, it's a,
1: it's a hilarious juxtaposition. Yeah, um, it, it really is. <laughs> I, I actually, like, I saw Angels in America before I saw Mean Girls and I stepped out at intermission I was like, oh this is where I'm coming in a week <laughs> that <be different. laughs> not be two very different, different. <laughs> be theatrical different. experiences yes. <laughs> <laughs> both of which we need yes um, yes totally so I think that you know whenever there's a musical that is an adaptation of something that was pre-existent I always wonder what it's like to take on characters that in this case have been kind of for both of you, I think somewhat iconically played. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed, whenever I talk to actors, it seems like a running theme, that it's like you just have to start from ground zero and pretend the other person didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case especially, I'm curious whether Tina told you anything kind of about how she conceived the characters that helped you kind of key into them, or if she just gave you total freedom to kind of do what you wanted.
0: <laughs> that might be different for the two yeah. of us, because obviously you're, the, your character is a very different yeah. character. I mean, Tina never said much about what the character should be. I think she mm-hmm. hired people who intrinsically understood what it was about that character that she that Wanted she needed. needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that all of the people in the story are real people. Um, Karen Smith is a real person that she went to school with. She is not an idiot, but <laughs> she is a real person. She had spectacular, like ha- like... Feathered '80s hair. Oh I've seen gosh. pictures of her. <laughs> um, you know, like Jamie's all of her best all, yep, yeah, all of these characters were based on people she went to school with. Mm-hmm. To the point where now we've had to change some names because now that we've brought the story, we didn't. You know, she didn't know when she created the film that it was going to be so what it, it was, mm-hmm. and so some of those people have requested a name change <laughs> this time around so that they might go about living their lives in a little less. Yeah. Being a part of a story they're not really a part of. Yes. Right. Um, so there's there's definitely truth to them. I mean, there's, there's realness to them, but obviously their character traits have been embellished.
2: Right. I think... Significantly. One thing that, and we can both attest to this, is that a big... When it came to my character, from D.C. to New York, a big thing that they were having problems with was... In the movie, she operates as a narrator because she has a voiceover, and she has close-ups. And you can zoom in on Lindsay Lohan's face, and you can tell a story with one second of screen time Mm -hmm. that you can't do in a musical. It's just not possible, especially a massive Casey Nicholson musical where there's so much going on. Close-ups do not exist. Close-ups do not exist. And so Tina and Casey were really trying to figure out how do we get, how do we make this character the protagonist and the instigator in her own story, as opposed to just responding to outside forces. And so the Katie that they created for this musical I think is very different from the movie because she has, in order to get this big show going, she has to be a bit more on the balls of her feet. And we have to feel a bit more of a yearning from her that you don't quite necessarily see in the movie because Mm -hmm. in the movie we, Um, A
0: lot of things happen to her. To
2: her. To her. And we go along with it um, because she's not at the core. She's at the core of a movie and we can see into her eyes. um, But at the core of a musical, you need somebody who's propelling the story forward to get us to that finale. Um, And I think that was something that we struggled with from D.C. to New York, figuring out. It's tough. It's really tough because you have to still root for her even as she is making actively making bad choices choices. (laughs) (laughs) so it's a really fine line to cross she has to be somebody that you can get back on her side even after she ruins her friendships
0: her identity her moral compass Mm -hmm. and what if I may say Mm -hmm. is that what's really important for that is to have an actress who doesn't approach it as anything other than honesty and so if we did have an actress, which we do not and never have had, an actress who was trying to do any kind of impression or any sort of mimicry of the film, you wouldn't believe her and you wouldn't root for her. And who, what we do have is this incredible actress who brings such honesty and such, like sincerity to everything that she does so that when she makes all these really terrible choices <laughs> yeah. of her own volition <laughs> you do still root for her and you do still sort of go no don't do that it's that <laughs> horror <laughs> movie element of like don't go in there like you do yeah. watch her with that as opposed to like this dumb girl like you don't you know, have that <laughs> yeah. you don't judge her yes. for them you just root for her Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Well, yeah, you, I hadn't thought about it until this moment, but you do seem a lot less just kind of along for the ride yeah. than she was in the movie. Yeah,
2: and that was definitely... That, that was a very active choice. Yeah, yes. that was definitely something that our writers worked very mm-hmm. hard on <laughs> in between our tryout and here. Yeah. And I think they they... They hit it. It. they figured it out.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, for Karen, I feel like, st- strangely when I talk to people about seeing the show, like everybody, I feel like everybody asks me first, like, how is the, the actress who plays the dumb girl? <laughs> so she's clearly very close to people's hearts. People love and, Karen. Yeah, and I mean, and people do love you. I mean, I feel like everyone I've talked to about the show, like the first thing they say is like, oh my God, she steals like every scene she's in. Aww. So. I, you <laughs>
0: know, there's something really, there's something really adorable about the girl who just like can't help herself, <laughs> you know? And it's, again, but But it's also about honesty and simplicity. Like, don't, heaven forbid, you, like, put a hat on a hat, you'll end up with, like... A hate a hateful dumb person because yeah. we all know those people out there in the world too. You no, know, <laughs> you are like so you stupid. stupid like... and how are you still alive? But but Karen's not that. Karen makes no apologies. Karen has a, I always think Karen has other nice qualities. Um, yeah, she's, she does. <laughs> she's like she's like a like a little animal. You're like, oh my god, you're so cute. If you didn't have me to k- take care of you, evolution would wipe you out. But you are so
2: cute. She's my favorite stuff is the stuff that you do that is. Karen sees the world for what it is I think because she doesn't think twice about herself Mm -hmm. whereas everybody else in the show really checks themselves and is like how is this perceived
0: she doesn't care how she's perceived She's she's not held back by the small things that everybody else spends so much energy on she has no concept of them. She Her right. ignorance is such bliss in that way, but it provides her this very clear sight about other things yeah. that are much larger and ultimately in our story yeah. very important. And they, yeah. can, they can provide Katie with something that she's not capable of getting on her own mm-hmm. because she is worried about all the small things. She's in her Karen, head. <laughs> Karen just... Everything is a blur to Karen. She has a
1: really clear track of where she's going. Yeah, And she's... I mean, I think she's very likable in a way, like, more easily likable than the other characters, because she kind of, she does seem kind of selfless, like, in she's a also, weird way. She's also, if you,
0: I mean, I, sometimes I feel like I'm not supposed to say this, but she's not very mean. She's not, no. she doesn't understand the impact she has on people, and sometimes that can, is, is a form of bullying, a form of ignorance that, that harms people, but she's not a mean person. She's actually not, and especially the way that I look at her, she's not a mean-spirited human at all. Mm-hmm. She follows a bad leader, but that's 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 her biggest crime, frankly, because she's really... I The number of times that I catch myself, and it's not in the script at all, but the times that I catch myself speaking to people that I wouldn't... That we, the mean girls of a pack, don't speak to, or um, greeting or apologizing, or, you know, like, she is is absolutely not a mean human being. She just doesn't understand that her behavior has an impact and that people are watching her the way that they are. Right,
2: Mm -hmm. right.
1: Well... I want to talk about the score a little bit and how much fun it is to sing, uh, because I find myself having trouble kind of describing what it's like overall to people, because I think it does have very varied sounds within it, Mm -hmm. and when I think about it, it seems like people sing in the, like, idiom that would make sense for them, the way that, like, Damien sings, like, a musical musical theater theater diva, Mm -hmm. and, you know... um, you know, uh, Janice sings in, you know, like Rocker, a little bit more, like of grungy, a little yeah. more grungy or like lots punk. Of guitar. Yeah, yes. Yes. Lots, of, lots of guitar and angst. Jean um, and
2: George is like pop princess. Yes, pop princess <laughs> slash Bond James Bond, Bond. Yeah. Yes. Bond, yeah. <laughs> Bond, Slash
1: Adele singing a James mm-hmm. Bond song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just curious to hear your takes on like what makes the music so special uh, and fun to perform every night. I mean,
0: what you just said is a big part of it. Yeah. I think the fact that each character has their own voice is really unique um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of other uh, I think other composers especially cor- current composers are looking so passionately to create a unified sound and that's great I mean that I totally understand the, the drive for that but to know that every time a certain theme plays that 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 connects to me mm-hmm. i mean whether or not the audience clocks it every time like that is so somewhere in the back of their head they yeah, definitely do it's literally like opera leitmotif yeah if you mm-hmm. think, i mean if you want to go back to like
1: conservatory school <laughs> um there wait, wait, this, is, have... this is the second podcast in a week where light motifs, motifs mentioned. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting is, very nerdy yes. <laughs> but it's true you know
0: like the, in opera they used to have that so that subliminally it was communicating to you what we're trying what they want you to hear and we do it the same way but we maybe it's not so subliminal (laughs) maybe it's like a little more on, on board but that that is so informative to me as an actor and I also know that it's supporting what I'm doing for the audience and helping them communicate it so that it just like makes your job like so much easier oh my gosh the first time you hear the score and you're like oh that's what we're doing that's (laughs) what this is it's so cool
2: oh my gosh I'll never forget our first Sitz Pro in D.C. our um, Clancy
0: what is, is his last name? I think John, John Clancy. John Clancy. Yeah.
2: Well, I Fancy's just call him Clancy. Name. He's like a <laughs> one name person <laughs> like yeah. He created a lot of these orchestrations and hearing, mm-hmm. um, I heard Stupid With Love for the first time, which is like, was Katie's first sort of introduction song back in DC and there was all this like African rhythm underneath it and I just thought, oh, right, because this is where she comes from and we're seeing that it doesn't, quite fit in with her new surroundings but that's still that internal rhythm yep. is inside her and I think I think what's also really exciting like you said there are six principal female leads mm-hmm. I don't know my Yeah, <laughs> in this if they had tried to do six um, if they had tried to write the same for all six of us I don't think any of us would stand out in the incredible way that when you see the show you yeah. remember every single female mm-hmm. um, and that is a testament to the writing of of Nell and, and Jeff and also Tina that for six girls, they created six different sounds, six different stories, and unique identities that play out in the musical, and I just love that. At the end of the show, it's not like, oh, those are the two girls and some ancillary people. Like, you know all of us, yeah. um, and I think the music substantiates that because yeah. it we get we get to hear what everybody's internal rhythm is and sort of their sound.
1: <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Um, you, I'm curious whether you guys kind of what you feel from the audience every night because <laughs> there is I think that's something that the show actually does really well is it doesn't feel like you're just sitting waiting for punchlines and yeah. it doesn't right, yeah. and uh, it doesn't just feel like those are being sandwiched in or like the show is an excuse for us to hear the same jokes over and over mm-hmm. again however I'm sure leading up to the fetch moment <laughs> you're like <laughs> you can feel the anticipation um, I well, mean the good news is
0: we give you the fetch moment pretty early on so, yeah, yeah. so we can all Move beyond yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> so you can have it. Yeah. But that's t- that actually was really intentional. Tina talked a lot about not wanting to. Repeat a lot of the jokes that are from the film. A because Mm -hmm. nothing's funny if you already know what's coming. If you're ahead of the punchline, like if I say if you're from Africa and the audience goes, "Why are you white?" Like that's not a great joke anymore. (laughs) So we can't use that. But also because it's 15 years later than when she wrote. I mean, this this, the life, the world has changed, and the story, even though it is is so very relevant, the way that it was told 15 years ago, the story can be as relevant now um, with. The, the sort of retelling of it and retelling the same story in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, at all the movie being played up on stage mm-hmm. for you every night. It is a totally new script. We just start and end
1: the same places as the film.
2: Mm-hmm. But the connective tissue is totally different.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it actually strangely translates very well to this moment yes. with like, the, yeah. I think <laughs> the, the integration of social media has like only made it feel, feel more relevant level, yeah. and it just works really, really well, and you feel like things would have been disseminated even more quickly now than they are in the film. Right, right. As rumors go. It's kind of crazy that... (laughs) Can you believe... I mean, I can't imagine.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I would not have survived. (laughs) But it's just exciting that, I mean, for better or for worse, that this sort of era that's happening right now, the cultural shift that's happening, is that our show gets to mirror that and respond to it. Because that was... I don't think... You know, when they created the story, that was not the intent. It was just mm-hmm. everybody just wanted to make a good story that had a moral message. And it, the fact that the message is something I think a lot of women and just society in general benefits from hearing at this state um, of the game is is exciting. Yeah, that we're a part of it.
1: Well, it's it, it's funny. I was when I was thinking about Regina and her posse. It's hard to completely hate them now. I think. Yeah. I, no, I think it yeah. was. I don't know whether the depiction of them has changed so much from the movie, or whether it's just a different moment we're seeing the show in. But uh, like I was saying before, it's just like it's exciting to see all of these leading female roles mm-hmm. who are all like really distinct and are all individuals and they're complex. There's, They're not one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the movie they were more meant to be one dimensional. But I feel like they've maybe grown up a little bit yeah. in the past 15 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also think, I, I all, fr- and frankly, and this is a, maybe a larger conversation, but I also think the concept of bully has changed Um, and so there's something, there's something sort of sweetly innocent about like a beautiful, (laughs) like blonde made up girl Mm -hmm. being like threatening because it's just that, that, that is sort of a, an ism now, you know, like and maybe it started with Tina or maybe it was there before, um, but that there's something because it is such a stereotype. You don't have to fear it the same way that you might fear a very different kind of bully today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't hate them the way that you might. But I will say, actually, now I'm going to contradict my own point. The matinees when we have more young people oh, in the audience, no. mm-hmm. I would feel I feel is different. We are responded to differently in the matinees than we are in the evening hmm. shows um, because I think we are scarier to people who haven't survived it yet. Huh. So when we have more kids, they can laugh at you. Yet. Yeah, yeah, we're not funny. <laughs> we're real. Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: actually so interesting. And it has a really noticed. interesting
0: response. And by the end, yeah. I always feel like maybe they they've relaxed a little into it. Yeah. But it does take them longer to be okay with us and to laugh at us and to celebrate our part of the story mm-hmm. um, than it does in the evenings because as adults, when you've lived through it, you can look at that blonde, beautiful, perfectly addressed bully and go like, oh, okay, sure. Because <laughs> yeah. you're not afraid of that anymore. Yeah. I'm not afraid of that anymore. I have other things that I'm afraid of. I have other people I'm afraid of. Yeah, But not her. That girl doesn't scare me. But when I was 14, totally, that girl's still scary. That girl's still real. And she's still... She might not look like that depending on what school you go to or where you come from, but... She exists, and you haven't lived through her yet, and it is harder for them to Relax. laugh at us. <laughs>
2: laugh at it. yeah, yeah. It's harder. So
1: interesting. Oh. Well, I, I just completely lost my
0: train. Of thought. I, just, like, I
1: feel like I just had a Karen moment. It's just like it all went blank. It happens <laughs> I, I now More and more, more common in my life actually. <laughs> that was amazing. It was like I was staring at you and the spirit of Karen was transmitted into me. I now remembered what I was going to say. I was amazed by the number of, I mean I was at a night performance, but I was amazed by the number of like teen and kind of preteen girls there because I was like, didn't this movie come out when you were like in utero exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no literally some it's so of them strange. are younger
0: than the movie the younger than the movie which
1: also makes me feel very old. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, do you get a sense of like how, why they're coming in droves or do, I mean, do they do you get like fan letters from girls? Oh we do. We, get a lot we of, do. we do. We get a, a lot of fan mail. We get a
0: lot of um, like Instagram messages yeah. from kids who are in either, you know, junior high, high school, high school. range. Um, it, you know, I think, A, I think that even if the movie is to them a classic, <laughs> it is a classic. At this mm-hmm. point, it's yeah. become something That it out stands out long past its you know release date or the people that were around when it was released. You know it was in my prime when that movie came out, but Mm -hmm. I am for by no means the end of that audience. Um, So they've seen the movie, they know the movie, they know Fetch, they know who Glenn Coco is. Like they they understand all of that, but then at the same time that. And this was maybe makes me so sad. That story is still so important because they're still going through all of those same things. Maybe more now because of social media. And, and it it is still so important for 13 and 14 year olds to understand that it's okay to be who they are, that they don't need to change to be accepted and to be loved and also to be respectful of each other, to, to grow up. If we could raise a culture of respectful women that would move our Con- country, our our society, I, it's bigger than that, I guess. But yeah. it would move us forward so quickly. So yeah. I think I think we all somehow, even at, you know, even the girls that are, and boys too that come that are that age, they they understand that. And they, they respond to it. Yeah, they respect that too.
2: Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm finding, especially from the letters that we get, and sort of the messages that we get, that if if it's not the the theme of like the bullying or the mean girls, it's that everybody, especially in that age range, is figuring out their identity and that the story that um katie goes through the story that gretchen goes through of trying to uh, change a facet of their personality to please somebody else that that i mean that's still something i deal with and i think that's sort of the universal theme that they all pick up on by the end because even regina says like You don't have to Mm -hmm. apologize who you are, but you don't have to apologize for being strong, for being a boss, as long as you're not doing it at the expense of somebody else. And for me, that's sort of been like the updated version of what Tina created with the movie. The movie ended with Katie just apologizing for messing (laughs) messing everything up and just saying sorry for having lied to people. Mm -hmm. And then this musical ends with saying... You know, owning up to what you've done wrong, but not apologizing and not changing for the approval of other people. And I think, especially with the advent of social media on every teenager's cell phone and seeing, um, being able to click at what looks like a perfect lifestyle or perfect human, I think that message that you have to be X Y Z to be desirable for your friends, for your partner, for whatever, that. Uh, that sort of train of thought is in teens' minds more. And I think that's why they respond so well to the show, because we address that of mm-hmm. you don't need to do that. You don't need to change and worry about everybody else to be awesome.
1: <laughs> well, part of what the show made me think about in terms of how things have changed in the past 15 years is mm-hmm. that just as bullying has changed form and become worse in so many ways, like, you know, Regina is at least like the threat you can see. And yeah. I feel yeah, like so absolutely. like you you know what you're dealing with. Whereas yeah. like so much of bullying is invisible now. I feel like uh, on the upside, like it's become maybe this is not universal all over the United States, but it's become cooler to just be yourself. yeah, and yeah. I think that, you know, a kid like Damien there are a lot more Damien's out there now and it's kind of cool to be a Damien yeah. yeah, I mean, again, not it. everywhere, but I, I think that, you know, part of the reason this podcast exists is to show how much overlap there is now between pop music and musical theater and how musical theater, I mm-hmm. think, is kind of now on the upswing of being, like, becoming very relevant to young people again yeah. and with things like Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen, Absolutely. like, it's becoming, like, cool to be, like, a theater nerd again. Yes! <laughs> Our time
2: is coming! Good for you guys! Good for you! <laughs> yes. It's so True, though. I mean, and I think it's because I also think, you know, if I was a fan now of the people that I could go see in a Broadway show, there's so many good, there's such a good community in the theater world that I think young people see um, and I think they respond to because those are sort of the themes that come up in a bunch
0: of musicals of like supporting one another. Well, I also think that, and maybe this is just my experience, and actually, it's the first time I'm really kind of piecing all this together is that when I was in high school I was a theater nerd. I was a Mm -hmm. choir nerd. Nothing's changed, and um, except I'm blonder, and (laughs) and they were my family. And I've had a lot of people ask me about my experience in high school. Was I bullied? And was I a popular kid? And you're like, no, no, I wasn't popular, but I wasn't really bullied. Like really, not like aggressively. But I felt I had a family. I I had like my a community that was very supportive. My my theater people. My choir people. It's even worse when you use the word choir. And I could say music, but like let's li- let not lie. <laughs> no, it was choir. Don't lie. Choir. Um, and <laughs> now one of the things that I love so much about being a part of the Broadway community is that it is uh, the exact same thing. It is the yeah. same family, and I wonder if the reason we are that way with each other is because we were all inherently. Protected by our theater communities at Crying home. Going oh, I'm up. sure. And so yeah. when we came yeah. here, we created the same sort of insular protective yeah. community that is, for the most part, it, un- unerringly supportive and not competitive, whereas a lot of people might think we are. You know, you look at like pop music and you look at um, film and television, and there is there seems to be a significant amount of competition mm-hmm. among performers mm-hmm. for. High stakes, and we don't compete with each other. We right. love each other. Yeah. We're so, for the most part, there's no room for that here. That's not the community it's, that it's we've just created. It's a, a team
2: effort to put on a show. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but also,
0: like, why would you want this? It, that's just not, yeah. those aren't the people that are drawn to musical theater, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what came we first, don't chicken or the compete. egg. Yeah, yeah. That, you wonder if it's just because like that's cycle. just. Right. But it for, they must have some sort of correlation because. Yeah. But you do notice that the kids that come the people you know under the age of 18 they they root for the mathletes they root for yes. Janice and Damien. Yes. They root nerd nerd, sexy is like a real thing now. It is real. Yes. And Kevin <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, yes, because that's York. the one you should like. Yeah. <laughs> These ones who are like at the top of their game in high school, they're going nowhere but down. <laughs> Those ones, they're the ones that are going to climb. And I know that because that was me. <laughs> it gets exactly. way better. It gets better. That's, an, that's get encouraging on that train It does
1: get better. <laughs> Well, I—I I mean, it's on the on the sort of friendship community train. I feel like when I look at the social media for the show, it seems like it's like one big slumber party backstage. Basically, <laughs> I feel like it's like pictures of you all in onesies, like cuddling <laughs> together before a show. That is a real photo. It does exist. <laughs> it does exist. And it exists.
0: And that's what's actually happening. We didn't stage that. It really was happening. And then someone took a photo. Uh, it's true. This is a very close knit family this show Um, that comes from our leadership from day one Mm -hmm. Um, I have been in other shows that had a similar age range or a similar style of message and it was not always that way Um, this show we were we were from day one brought together to be an incredibly respectful and loving family. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same message as the show. You do not have to be best friends with everybody, but you can treat everybody with respect and you can respect everybody's part of the plan. You know, like part right. of the part of the big picture. And we really took that to heart. And it's Yeah. It's and then we have a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life in this show who have different backgrounds and different experiences and different ultimate goals. Like, you know, we're not all the same core musical theater kid no. um, but we do all have such respect for each other and such a love for the work that we're doing together um, and Casey and Tina in particular really led with that message of inclusion and respect from day one mm-hmm. and that is absolutely a, a core thread of what this this show yeah. has created for us backstage as well as on stage.
2: They also just created... Casey created something that was a celebration of the individual. I think... Yeah. I mean, part of it is our ensemble Even in his casting. Is, I mean, the, the way he casts, it's our like, ensemble. We don't all look alike. alike. No ensemble I mean, that Taylor I've and seen in...
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's true.
2: Like, we walk out the stage where people are like, which one are you? Um, yeah. But, but when our wigs come off. But, um... Yeah, something about our ensemble. I've never seen an ensemble like that looks like ours um, in a while. I just it, yep. it's in of recent years that sort of happened more and more. But all different shapes, sizes, colors, and I think that sort of celebration of like what Real, you bring yeah. to the table, how you dance, do that. Don't do it the yep. way that I show you. Bring yep. you to it, mm-hmm. and so that celebration of the individual has made this so much more of a collaborative team effort as opposed to it being principals and ensemble. It is, no, no, no. This story does not get to the end unless all
0: of us put our
2: 100% in every night.
0: So that's... Also, if you've seen the show, the, the people working <laughs> the hardest are not us. Not <laughs> us. <laughs> not with you. You're it's, working it's very <laughs> hard. But the ensemble is the, they're the core of the storytelling. Yeah. They are in every, every single, single scene. number, scene, everything. Yeah. So they tell more of the story than i do so there we, you know there has to be a mutual respect totally. there's a there's a respect totally. for the way that they do their storytelling and a respect for the way that i do mine but right. it's mutual because nobody's doing more than anybody else you know no yes. no is working harder
1: than the ensemble is that's for sure yeah well that's i feel like sure. at different points you are doing very hard work in terms of negotiating <laughs> dancing in very high heels and very short skirts yeah, that yes. I never I'm like to how know. are you managing <laughs> this <laughs>
0: It's, Never it's, have to meals. it's really something to be doing that at the age that I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, really so.
2: something. I think you and Carrie Butler age in reverse. I'm convinced. I, if I can look like Carrie Butler, I,
0: all, I, all I want to do is what Carrie Butler's doing. Whatever she's drinking every night, whatever is what she's I drinking I need. every night, I want it yes. because we Vamp- have to identify Vampire her bird. as the mother. Because otherwise, she just looks like a teenager. Like she oh, looks yeah. like us. She oh, she's she ageless. Yeah, yeah. She's completely. Age-less.
1: It's, I mean yeah <laughs> it's astonishing well thanks for coming this thank was super you. fun yeah, Yes. You good nice. luck at the Tonys and have thank fun telling thank then thanks very much Mean Girls is on Broadway now at the August Wilson Theater. And if you would like to read more about it, you can check out billboard.com for a recent interview that I did with Jeff Richmond and Nell Benjamin about writing the score. If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, as always, please subscribe and give us many nice stars and reviews on iTunes. You can always find me on social media, on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff, on Instagram at RMM, and hope you'll come back for next week's episode.